The book of Galatians has time and again been used by God to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people. It has been referred to as the Magna Carta of the early church, the Declaration of Freedom. It would seem that each time God's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace, God uses this book of Galatians to bring about a renewed excitement, a renewed passion for what real Christianity is all about, Jesus plus nothing. Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to. I'm excited about tonight. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what God has in store for us tonight. Uh, to, to open up, I thought we'd just kind of begin with a, a little recap of, of what we looked at last week. And last week we started in the book of Acts, because the book of Acts really sets the... The, the context for what the book of Galatians is about, what it's trying to reveal to us. We we're able to walk through Paul's missionary journey uh, when he went through the churches of Galatia and what, did he sh- what he shared with them and what was Paul's gospel. What did we see was, was really the summary of what Paul was sharing with them. Anyone remember? Jesus plus nothing. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I like that. Jesus plus nothing. It's all about him. It's not what you can bring to the table. It's what Jesus has accomplished. And in Acts 13, verses 38 and 39, I think did a fantastic job of, of really summarizing this, this gospel. And that is that forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you. It's been declared. It's done. Jesus has paid for all of our sins. That's not in doubt anymore. That's been taken care of. And to those who believe in him... They are freed, justified, made righteous, made acceptable from all things, from everything. Of all things of which the law of Moses could not set you free from. And that's the gospel, Jesus plus nothing. It's all about Jesus. That's what makes it such good news, great news. And, and so then Paul was, was uh, sharing this message to all the churches of Galatia and a lot of people in, in, uh, in the surrounding areas, what did they think of that idea? What did they think about this message? Some really loved it, right? They were begging Paul and Barnabas to come back and continue to preach and speak on these things. But then there was another group, the Judaizers. What did they think of it? They weren't so impressed, <laughs> right? They, they, they kind of frowned upon it to the point where they tried to kill Paul and Barnabas, Right? And they really didn't like it because they felt threatened by it. And, and so they, they would raise up people, they would incite people to basically run Paul and Barnabas out of town. And, and they were successful in some parts. But nonetheless, there were people who were saved, people who did receive this message. And so when Paul was doing his return trip through, he was stopping off at all the churches and encouraging them and, and, and uh, reminding them about what, what was going on. And it says that he was encouraging them to continue in the faith, trust, dependence. Not hard work, not hard at lots of effort, but trust, simple faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. Because it continues to be Jesus plus nothing. But now the, the Judaizers weren't done yet. They still wanted to destroy the church. And so now they couldn't just you know, attack the message per se, uh, at least not directly because people already received the message. So they decided to go another way, which was start to attack the messenger. They started to, to tear apart the messenger, uh, specifically Paul, and begin to tear him down. Yeah, yeah, Paul doesn't know the full message. 
Paul only shares part of it because he's really under other people's uh, authority. He's, he's, he's an underling, and so he only knows part of it, but there's more. Now that you're saved, you have to come back to the law. You need the law now to live. And, and we're going to see that more as we go on tonight. That, that is the issue really fa- facing the churches of Galatia. It's not an issue. It's not a question of how are we saved. The question facing the church of Galatia is how now do we live? now that we're saved. So it's not an evangelistic book, but one of, of, of growth, of, of walking and growing in the Spirit. Amen? Amen? So with that kind of as a quick summary and a recap to bring us up to, up to speed, we're going we're gonna to dive in and continue on studying the book of, Galatia, but, book of Galatians. But I hope you understand the only hope we have of understanding this book is by trusting in who? In Father, right? So we're going to pray right now and, and turn our, our simple faith to Him to let Him speak to us. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have blessed us with this incredible book of Galatians, the Magna Carta of our, of our freedom, this great uh, letter that um, so clearly states out the, the simple gospel, Jesus plus nothing. And Father, we know that the enemy doesn't want us to get this. We know he's going to do everything in his power to, to twist it, to distort it. And, and I know you don't want that. So we ask, Father, that you will um, guard our hearts and minds, that we might hear from you. We might not be distracted. We may not get caught up in, in rabbit trails and, and, and other thoughts, but simply hear from you that we might continue to grow, continue to experience the freedom, and to accept what it is that you've given to us, this wonderful gift. So thank you, Father. I confess my dependence upon you, knowing that the only hope we have is for you to be the teacher. And so I look forward to what you have in store as you teach us all tonight, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now one of the, one of the complaints or attacks on Paul was that Paul was just a people pleaser. Here's Paul. He's just trying to... Um, to you know, keep, keep the peace. He's trying to make people happy with this message of, of grace and freedom. He's going out and preaching to Gentiles, so the last thing he would do to Gentiles is give them this, this burden of the law. So he was just trying to make friends and be popular. And so Paul here, you know, he begins off the letter and he says, listen, if anyone purposely twists the gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be damned to hell. And if you didn't get it, let me repeat myself. If anyone twists the gospel, let him be damned to hell. Strong words. And then he says, now am I a people pleaser? <laughs> Is that what I'm doing? Am I really trying to, pe- to please people? No, if I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be doing this. Think about what Paul suffered, what we read about in the book of Acts or, or in the book of, of Corinthians, how he's attacked, how he's, he's beaten, how he's stoned. Is that making friends? No. No, not at all. He wasn't out trying to please people. And in fact, if he was, he wouldn't be doing this. He would be doing the very opposite of what the Pharisees were trying to do, or the Judaizers. So it goes on in verse 11, though. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. Paul's going to now kind of share his testimony. He's going to reveal to us a, a little bit of a story that we have a little bit in Acts, but as well as, uh, as here in the book of Galatians. And so I would encourage you to open up the books, the, your Bible, to Acts chapter 9. 
because what we're going to try and do is, is just kind of follow along and, and, um, and, and just follow with what Paul's saying here in Acts 9, because Galatians 1 is, for the most part, just history, just his testimony, and, and Acts chapter 9 records most of it for us. So I'd have you know, brethren, that the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. This gospel was not invented by man. It didn't come up with man. It came straight from God. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It was revealed to me. It was, it was uh, laid bare to me. That's what this word revelation means. And it wasn't, I wasn't the disciple of one of the apostles. I wasn't a student of one of these men. But rather, it was God Himself that revealed it to me. Uh, this is right here first, for now. We're gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll direct you to the book of Acts as we go, but we're, we're just following along in the book of Galatians first. So verse 12 then, For I neither received it from man, nor was it taught it, but received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. In Acts 9, in the first two verses there, we, we meet this man named Saul. It's not the first time this man Saul made an appearance in the book of Acts. He was there when Stephen was stoned. He was right there on board with, with the first martyr of Christianity, Stephen. And so he's now, in Acts 9, we meet Saul again, and we start seeing exactly what he's doing. He was going to the high priest, asking for letters, and these letters were basically warrants of arrest, permission to go and hunt down Christians to arrest them and potentially even murder them as well but to at least harass and persecute, trying to destroy the church. So he goes, you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church. Paul here was a well-known persecutor. I mean, he was, everyone tried to avoid Paul. People were terrified of him. He garnered such a reputation already uh, of, of really hunting down and attacking the church. In verse 14, back in, in Galatians, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral tra tra traditions. That word traditions really is law. I was passionate for the law. I was a Pharisee. I mean, this really, I think, coincides with what Paul's testimony that he gives for us in, in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4 onward. Right, where he says, you know, put no confidence in the flesh. If anyone would put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Being, you know, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was born of the nation of, e of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I was a Pharisee. According to the law, I was blameless. According to zeal, I persecuted the church. He says, I, I was advancing in the ranks. I, I wasn't this unknown guy. I wasn't just floating along. I was passionate, I was zealous, I was willing to destroy anything I saw that was a threat to my tradition, the law, what I thought was really what God was about. And so I was passionate. And he's, he's, he's basically turning the tables on these people. Because these people are coming and saying, you know, Paul doesn't really know the law. He doesn't understand the law. And he's saying, listen, if anybody understood the law, it was me. It was, it was me. I, I knew the law inside and out. You couldn't find fault with me, Paul was saying, because I knew the law inside and out so well. And then verse 15, but when God. You know, but God. I mean, are there, are there any sweeter words in the, in the English language? But God, right? I mean, here is, here is Paul going off ready to destroy the church, and then God. God gets in the way. 
God had other plans. And, and, but when God, who had set me apart from even my mother's womb, and called me, invited me through His grace. That's incredible. That God would choose this, this persecutor, this, this tormentor of the church, to accomplish His purposes. And He planned it even before Paul was even born. Could you imagine what it was like for the, the, the Christians of the day before Paul was Paul, before he was the apostle? I mean, they must have thought this guy is their worst enemy. They were probably praying, Lord, kill this guy. <laughs> Lord, wipe him off the face of the earth. And God said, no, I, I've got plans. You just wait and see. And I find that encouraging because in the day before, or the days before his, his conversion, you probably would have never predicted it. But you see, the story wasn't over yet. Right? And you see, maybe there's some people in your own lives who are kind of like a Paul. They're kind of like someone who's tormenting you and, and frustrating you. You think, how, what? Lord, just get rid of this person. <laughs> you know, it'd be so much easier. <laughs> Should we take a testimony time right now? <laughs> but, uh, but I want you to know, this story's not over. <laughs> Should we do a testimony time right now? It's not over. It's not over, right? But God, but God has a whole other plan, right? And he'd called Paul to this purpose. And so, you know, act, or, uh, sorry, Galatians 15 kind of falls in there with Acts 9, um, uh, where he got struck down with the light on the road to Damascus. Um, I think that's what verse, verse 5 onward, right? Who are you, Lord? <laughs> uh, the one you're persecuting, <laughs> right? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? What are you doing? And then he goes on, but God was pleased, verse 16, to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I mean, what a great word again, that he was pleased. God desired, he wanted to reveal his son. Think about, think about creation. Think about back in Genesis, when, when God formed the, the heavens and the earth. You know, at the end of day one, he looked over all that he created and he said, it is good. Then he made some more on day two and he looked at creation and he said, it is. Day three, it is. Day four, it is. Day five, it is. Day six, it is. Very good. Now, what's different between day, and f day five and day six? Or put another way, what was creation missing at the end of day five that God put in on day six and don't say man? Yeah, I know. You're not that good. <laughs> what, what was, what was, sorry? Woman. Woman. <laughs> oh, dear. Listen, listen. There is no difference between man and woman, okay? We'll get to that in a few chapters, all right? All right, good thing you're here. You'll need it, ladies. Um, no, no, it wasn't man or woman. What, what was creation missing? It was God. You see, at the end of day five, God wasn't in the rocks. He wasn't in the trees. He wasn't in the animals. He wasn't in the plants. He wasn't in the water. He wasn't in the stars. He wasn't in the sun. Or the, he wasn't in the mountains. It was good, but it was missing God. But on day six, he says, let us make man in our own image. And he breathed into man his spirit. And so now, God 
was for the first time in creation. He was in mankind. So when God looked on the creation, who did he see? It is very good. He's a good judge of character, right? He saw himself. It is very good. But Adam and Eve, they went and they blew it. And they marred. Their image was now forever changed. They no longer revealed God to creation. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up thousands of years later that for the first time now, creation could experience God in it again. Right? But then he did it for us. The incarnation of God in man didn't end with Jesus. He then put his life where? In us. For what purpose? That he would reveal his son in us. This isn't just God's plan for Paul. This is God's plan for all of us. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28 and 29 says? We know in all things God causes, uh, God works for our good, causes all things to work together for our good that we might be conformed into the image of His Son. That the world would see who? Not I, but Christ. And that's what He's wanting to do. That's, that's, he's restoring what creation was intended to be all the way back in Genesis 1. That the creation could see God in us. And that's what God was pleased to do in Paul. And that's what He is pleased to do in you. That blows my mind. I mean, that humbles me. That just brings me to my knees that he would, he's pleased. He's, he decides, he wants to reveal his son, his life in and through you and I. Glorious. Glorious. So Paul says this wonderful message, but I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. I didn't immediately run to, to James and John and, and find out what was going on. See, in Acts 9, verses 22 and 23, look what, what it says here in Acts. He says, But Saul, uh, after you say, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So these people who knew who this Saul was, this, this later to be named Paul, they knew he was a persecutor of the church. Now he's actually defending the church. They didn't get it. They couldn't understand what was going on. And verse 23, Then many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So here's many days now. It wasn't just a couple days. It was after some time. Many days. And I think this is where what happens now in verse 17 here. Paul says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I didn't go to Peter. I didn't go to John. I didn't go to James. Because remember, the, the message that these Judaizers are saying to the church of the Galatia is that Paul's message is substandard compared to the others because he learned it from them and he didn't learn it right, or he's only got part of it. Paul says, no, I didn't learn the message from these guys. Instead, I went to Arabia. This is, he was in Arabia, and then he returned once more to Damascus. Um, for, and he was about here for about three years. That's the many days you read about in verse 23, I think. Now, this time in Arabia, there is a dark mystery over it. I have no, nobody knows how long he was in Arabia, what happened in Arabia, who he was with, if anyone in Arabia. It's a mystery. And that's okay, because we don't need to know. <laughs> Otherwise, I think God would reveal it to us. But he goes off to this, this uh, Arabia and returns to Damascus, where he's there for many days, until these people are ready to run him out of town. You'd think Paul would get the message after a while, right? He's, you know, everywhere he goes, people run him out of town. So then three, three years later, he finally goes up to Jerusalem and became acquainted with, with Cephas. That's Peter, 
I don't know why he says Cephas. That's, a, a, I think, is uh, Aramaic or, or, uh, or Hebrew or Greek. I'm not sure, but it's, it's Peter. And he stayed with him for 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. I did see him, right? So he goes there for about two weeks. And it must have been a glorious time there that, you know, for two weeks, these guys, you know, were hanging out together. But again, we could find this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, read in verse 26. So when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But guess what? They were terrified of him. Yeah. <laughs> Any guesses why? <laughs> you know, all of a sudden he knocks on their door and they open up. And who do they see? The number one persecutor of the church. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's basically, um, you know, uh, in the 1940s, a Jew in Germany opening up his door and seeing Hitler there. Uh, no, no, nobody here. Sorry. Right. Leave your name and number. I'd happy to get back to you at some point. I mean, the terror these guys are having. They want nothing to do with Paul. Right. Thinking that maybe it's a trap. Maybe he's just working as a spy now. Verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had t- talked to him and how, the, how at Damascus he had spoken up boldly in the name of Jesus. So what ends up happening now is, is Barnabas vouches for Paul. And so they're saying, okay, Barnabas, we trust you. And if you're willing to say we should listen to this guy, we will. And so they finally did. And so he's able to meet with, with Peter and even with James. And verse 20 says, now, I am writing all this to you, and I assure you before God, I am not lying. That's how bad things were. That these people were, were, were so disrupting, so tearing down the, the reputation of Paul. Can't destroy the message, destroy the messenger. And Paul says, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I swear an oath before God. Now, in our day and age, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Back then, it meant a whole lot. It meant a lot. Your word was your, was your bond. That was, that was it. And if you broke your word, you were done. Nowadays, you can recover. But not back then. Right? And so I assure you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. This is the truth. I didn't meet with those people like, like was being said about me. This message is not mine. It's not coming from me. And that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to make them understand that the gospel's not Paul's. He's not trying to keep people happy, this wonderful message. It's all from God. Verse 21, Then I went to the regions of Syria, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, uh, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who was once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they are glorifying God because of me. And that's Acts 9, verse 31. It talks about now Paul's traveling through. So again, this, this book of Galatians is so rooted and tied, you can go find it in the book of Acts just time and time again. So what ends up happening is they haven't seen him yet, but word is starting to spread, right? Gossip, yes, or, or whispers are going, have you heard about Saul? Yeah, the, you, you, the Saul, the guy who's trying to kill him? Not anymore. I hear he's now, he's now saved. I hear he's preaching. Oh, you should hear him preach. He's incredible. Have you? I haven't heard him yet, but I've, I've heard reports. Wow, praise Jesus for what he has done. Isn't that incredible? They don't praise Paul. They're not saying, well done, Paul. It's praise God, because who did it? Jesus plus nothing, right? It's all about what Paul, or what, what God has done, how God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. And so they are glorifying God. But look what he's doing. 
He who once persecuted us is now preaching faith. Right? Not the law. Not religion. Not five steps to this and eight steps to that. But preaching the faith. Dependence. Trust. That's the key here that he was sharing with them. Right? So then chapter 2 and verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now again, we're going to find this in the book of Acts. This is in Acts 15. This is called the Jerusalem Council. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 15 now. See, what was happening now is these, a, a group of, of, uh, of Jews from Judea started coming down to Antioch. This is where Paul is right now. And they begin to preach, you need to be circumcised. You need to go back to the law. Yes, Jesus was good for salvation, but now it's Jesus plus something else. Circumcision. Follow the rules. It really doesn't matter what it is. You add anything to the gospel, and it's no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news. It's no longer about Jesus. It's about now you and what you need to pull off. And that's what they're adding. And, and so in Acts 15, in verse 1, So some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Jesus is not enough. That's what they're preaching. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, that word dissension means they stood up. They stood up against them. It wasn't an offensive term. It wasn't, let's go out and tear them down. It was, no, no, you are not going to do that here. We will defend the gospel. It's a military term that speaks of this defense. And when they defended the gospel with great debate against these people, um, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So this was a major turning point in Christianity. You see, Christianity at this point, for the most part, was seen as a subset of Judaism. They were seeing it just as another sect, a denomination of, of Judaism, some might say. But there really was no difference. And what, what was happening now, were, the church is now at a, at a critical stage. Is it going to continue on as a subset of Judaism? Return back to the law return back to, to circumcision, and basically just be another version of Judaism, or will it turn and become what it is meant to be? This wonderful message of grace of Jesus plus nothing. And they were, they were at this crossroads here. So they said, you know what, Paul and Barnabas? Go to Jerusalem. This is crucial. Have it out with the elders and find out what it is that we really do believe. So this is the revelation that, that Paul was led with Barnabas. He took Titus with him. And he goes and he, and he submits the gospel to those in private with, with men of reputation. That's the other apostles. The guys like Peter and James and John and Matthew and, and so forth. The, the, the other apostles who, were, who you know, would have been seen as, these are the guys that walked with Jesus. If anyone knows the gospel, it's these guys. Because they lived with Jesus all those years. And so he met with them in private and he, he revealed to them what, what he knew the gospel to be for this purpose, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So he's 17 years into the, you know, his ministry in terms of being saved, that he's been sharing this gospel and says, okay, I got to check. Am I wrong? Am I off base? 
So this is where he finally begins to sit down and say, okay, what do you guys think? Am I wrong in this gospel? Now, here's the danger. In chapter 1, we saw, Paul says, this gospel I received, I didn't receive it by man, I received it as a revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a huge danger there. Because all of a sudden, the guy can show up and say, you know what, I've got the gospel here. I wasn't taught by man, I wasn't taught by the Bible. It was revealed to me by Jesus Christ himself. Okay, <laughs> that should send up warning flags, <laughs> right? Big alarm bells should be going off in your head if someone says that to you. I have a new gospel received directly from Jesus. Okay, <laughs> really now? Because there's a great danger we could do that. And all kinds of error, all kinds of deception can come in. So here's why I love what Paul did. He checked. Am I wrong? And he went. Now, they, unfortunately for that, they didn't have Scripture. They didn't have the Word of God like we did, right? They were, they were still writing the Word of God. We, fortunately, we have the Word of God, and that is for us to check. That allows us to, to verify what it is that we've been hearing and learning and, and confirm, does this agree, right? Because all Scripture agrees. There are some who say, you know, Paul has his own gospel, and Peter has a gospel, John has a gospel, and Jesus has a gospel. No. They're all one and the same. How many people you know have heard of the Red Letter Bible? You know what I mean by the Red Letter Bible? What's the red letters? The words of Jesus, right? And they're there to highlight. They stand out. I don't like that Bible. You know why? Because it makes the words of Jesus more important than the other words. And I remember talking to somebody and saying, but it's the words of Je I trust the words of Jesus more than I trust the words of Paul. Listen, who wrote both? All Scripture is inspired by who? By God. It's not at the creation of man. It's not the whim of man. It's inspired by God. Meaning the red letters and the black letters are of equal weight. And here's the good news. That would only be a problem if they disagreed with one another. But they don't. They are in complete agreement. They're in complete harmony. The gospel Jesus shares, the gospel Peter shares, the gospel Paul shares, the gospel John shares, they're all one and the same. Even James, the gospel he shares, they all fit. They're all one and the same. And so it's not one against the other. Again, that was one of the things that Paul was coming up against. So he reveals, he shares them in private. And so if you, someone comes up to you or you think you have something, here's a great hint. Go check it out. Check it out with Scripture. Check it out with other people who know Scripture. And find out, am I off base? Am I, you know, have I, have I jumped off the pier? Am I still on track? What's going on? Because all of Scripture will agree. Amen? So he reveals to them, in case you'd be going off, off track, but guess what the answer was? No. You got it, Paul. You're right there. You, you haven't blown it for one bit. It was so much so that not even Titus, who is not a Jew, Titus was, was of Greek descent, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And Titus says, whew, <laughs> Right? No, and this is huge. We have no idea how important this was. Because if they said, you know what, Titus? Yes, you need to be circumcised. It would have set a precedent. It would have set the course for Christianity. And Christianity would have become a subset of Judaism. 
It was right there with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Christianity. Here's the law. Follow it. The only thing different would have been the sacrifice. But sadly, when I look at the church today, the gospel preached is basically a souped-up version of Judaism. We've, we've fallen for this trap. I mean, think about what is Judaism? Judaism is this. Here are the laws. Do your best to follow them. Right? And if you can't follow them, what do you do? Offer a sacrifice. And then what? Try again. Try again. Repeat. <laughs> right? It's like shampoo. <laughs> right? Rinse and repeat. Right? I mean, that's essentially what it is. And you just keep doing it over and over and over again. Well, think about modern Christianity today is what? Get your sins forgiven. That's the sacrifice. And then what do we do? Go back to the law. Follow the law. Here it is. And when you fail, offer your sacrifice, which is who? Jesus. And then what? Go back to the law. Repeat. And so Christianity for many people is just a souped up version of Judaism. But this is what the Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, was all about. Let's go back to, to Acts 15. So verse 3, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done within them. Uh, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to obey the law of Moses. They're going back to the old covenant. They're going back to the old way of thinking. Now, these are the Pharisees. Again, just like Paul. And Paul, has a, he understands these people. These were his people. And they loved the law. And so it was hard for them to break from the law. And they said, we need to go back. How can, you, how can you say anything against the law? The law, nothing wrong with the law. What's wrong with the Ten Commandments? That's a good argument. What is wrong with the Ten Commandments? Nothing. It's holy, righteous, and good. It's just not meant to be the way to live, as Paul's going to get into in Galatians chapter 3. But this was the thing. They were trying to bring them back to the law. And Paul says, no, can't do that. And that's the issue that we're facing. So he says, they, we were not compelled to even circumcise Titus. We stood our ground. And it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, by which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us to, in, to bondage. Here was the enemy trying to tear down the freedom, trying to tear down the church. They had infiltrated the church. They were false brethren. They weren't truly saved, these people who were up to, up to these sneaky tricks. These were the people who are trying to block the incarnation of God. Remember that video we saw last week? That Salieri who says, I will block you. I will prevent your incarnation from being shown. That's what he's trying to do now. He's trying to block God, the incarnation of God, in who? In us. So that we won't reveal the life of Christ. But instead we'll just reveal our own efforts. Flesh. And that's what they're trying to do. Get the people eyes off of Jesus and onto something else. And Jesus plus fill in the blank. Right? Verse 5, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. We stood our ground. We fought. 
And that to me is glorious. You know, it, it's easy to read uh, uh, Paul and come away with the decision that, you know, Paul was, was a real mean guy, right? I mean, this guy was just take no prisoners and, and just come in, blow up the room, and, and if you got blown up, too bad for you, right? He was a very dominant, strong person who just, you know, left a huge rubble in his wake. And it's easy to come to that conclusion, but I don't think that was Paul. I don't think that was him at all. But you know what? He was strong. Make no mistake, he was determined. He was zealous. And we are blessed for it. We are blessed for it. Because he said, I stood the ground. I did not yield. I defended the position. And, you know, the question is for us. Will we do the same? Will we defend the gospel? Or will we yield? Will we allow the gospel to be twisted and distorted? Will we allow something to come in and add to this wonderful message? And now Jesus plus something small. Jesus plus read your Bible. Jesus plus go to church. Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus what other sacred cows can I kick over? Right? I mean, these are the things that denominations have started over, right? And we add to the gospel. No. Paul stood his ground. He stood his ground. Now, last week I talked about doctrine. And I said, you know... I hope you understood what I meant by doctrine. That, that There's nothing wrong with doctrine. Doctrine is good. Doctrine is wonderful. And what I was trying to say last week is that the people didn't leave a doctrine. They left a person. Right? Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus. Not so quickly deserting a doctrine. And you can leave Jesus and then just get lost in the doctrine. To get lost in something good. And it becomes a replacement. But doctrine itself isn't bad. And at times there needs to be a defense of that doctrine. Unity at all costs will tear us apart. Right? I mean, there are times where it's not worth the fight. And many denominations and church splits have been about wrong things. All right? Let's be honest with that. They weren't about the gospel. They were more about flesh and power trips. That's what most church splits and denominations have been about. But there are times where you do need to stand the ground. I mean, think about Martin Luther. Praise God that Martin Luther stood the ground and says, you know what? It's a Jesus plus nothing gospel. And he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church. I will not stand for this, Paul said. I will not stand for this, Martin Luther said. And so there are times where we do need to defend the gospel, where we need to stand the ground. And I'm glad Paul did. So that the truth of the gospel, the good news would remain with you. It wouldn't be twisted. It wouldn't be distorted. So look how, uh, how it goes in, in, in uh, Acts 15. We'll go back to it. And so in verse 6, um, and, but the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. And after there had been much debate, 
right? A lot of talking, a lot of arguing, healthy discussion. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by, the, my, by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is Paul, or sorry, Peter referring to Acts chapter 10, where he had the vision, right? He's sleeping in bed, and then God brings his blanket full of goodies down, right? What was on the blanket? Bacon and pork and pork chops and all kinds of wonderful food that Jews could not eat, right? It was, it was forbidden for them to eat. And this blanket, this great food comes down, and what does God say to Peter? Eat up. <laughs> Dig in. And Peter says, oh no, oh no, I can't do that, Lord. That's against the law. I won't do that. Next night, same dream. Dig in. Oh no, Lord, I can't do that. Peter, dig in. Third time. And oh no, I can't, I can't do that. And God says, Peter, why do you call unclean what I just made clean? Right? And it wasn't about pork. <laughs> it was about Gentiles. Right? Why do you call Gentiles unclean when I call them clean? Peter, I want you to go. Go to Cornelius. Here is a man, a Gentile, and he will be saved too. Sure enough, Peter goes down and finds this guy, Cornelius, and, and he lays hands on him. The Holy Spirit comes down, and he's speaking in tongues. That's a sign to confirm that what happened with the Pentecost is also happening with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not a subset of Christianity even. They're not a, a step below the Jewish Christians. They're one and the same. I made them one. That's what, that's what God is doing. That's what Peter's referring to. You know what's happened. How, how what God has done and how he revealed through me to this ministry to the, to, the God, to the Gentiles. And verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts. How? By faith. Not by following the Mosaic commandments. Not by getting circumcised. Not under the old covenant, but by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we've been able to bear? I mean, he's thinking about, think about the ridiculousness of this, guys. You and I, we're Jews. We've grown up with the law. We love the law. We've dedicated ourselves to the law growing up. And we couldn't do it. What makes you think that these people are not going to be able to pull it off? You know we can't do it. Why do you want to trip these people up? It's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. Can we really do this? There's no chance. What's the standard? Not do your best and God does the rest. The standard is what? Be perfect. Be perfect in every way. Be as perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's a high standard. <laughs> right? And so he's saying it's ridiculous. We don't stand a chance. We can't do it. But Verse 11, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way as they also are. We're saved by grace. How's it any different from them? We're not saved by the works of the law. We're not saved by measuring up to, to, to all these rules. We're saved by grace, in the exact same way they are. 
And all the people kept silent and they're listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul begins to recount to them this wonderful ministry he's had going on for 17 years, preaching the gospel, how Gentiles, the Gentile church has been growing and multiplying. Now, I mean, there's, there's a Gentile church and a Jewish church, and this is, the, this is they're at odds now. What's going to happen? So verse 13, and after they had stopped speaking, James, the Lord's brother now, he answered saying, brethren, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Okay. Um, and with these words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, after these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild his ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. James here is quoting from the Old Testament. Guys, you who love the law, guess what the law says? <laughs> it's not about making them Jews. It's not about making Gentiles and bringing them into Judaism. God's wanting to save the Gentiles as well. Verse 19, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. But we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what, what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter to them. And the letter basically recaps Paul's judgment. Right? Or, sorry, James' judgment. Judgment being, do Christians need to follow the law to be saved? Do they need to follow the law now that they're saved? No. They don't need to return to the law. It's done. The law is passed on, and now we're in a new covenant. But then he added some conditions. What were the conditions? Don't strangle things, or don't have the blood of those things strangled, right? And, and, and a few other um, things that you know, probably don't really concern us nowadays. But it's interesting because we're going to come back to it in a few weeks, probably in that last, the last week together, about what, what James's letter says is these conditions, because you'll notice that there's something a little bit different as we go on with Paul and what he says here in Galatians. All right, any questions so far? I know we're kind of bouncing back and forth between Acts and, and Galatians, but I, I want you to see how, how this, really at this part, Galatians is a history letter, and it is rooted in the book of Acts. And I hope you see it to really encourage your faith that this is the gospel. Verse 6, so Paul reveals the gospel to them, verse 6, but those who are of high reputation and what they are were makes no difference to me, for God shows no partiality. Well, those who are of reputation contributed nothing to me. Well, isn't that just a backhanded compliment from Paul, right? Sounds that way, but it's not. It's really not. Paul's not slamming these people. He's saying, listen, it's not about people. Again, he's going after these Judaizers who are trying to tear down Paul. He's saying, well, Paul and Peter and, and James and John, there's all these different apostles, and who do you follow? And he's saying, it's not about that. It's about who? It's about God, and he shows no partiality. It's not about the messenger. It's all about the message. And these people, the, the, these are men of reputation, 
These other great apostles, they didn't add anything to the gospel. They didn't add anything to what I had to say. Meaning what? The gospel I share is the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the complete gospel. Jesus plus nothing. In fact, verse 7, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked also to me, through me, to the Gentiles. Again, what's he saying here? It's not the messenger. The same guy that did it through Peter is doing it through... It's the same gospel. Because it's, it's not about us. Don't get your eyes focused on the messenger, but rather on who's in the messenger. Because God was pleased to reveal His Son in me in the same way He was pleased to reveal it in Peter. That's what Paul's trying to get at. And so, on the contrary, they actually they, they commissioned me. They said, you know what, Paul? We approve what you're doing. And this letter that James sends really is, is a reference letter. It's a letter of recommendation. So if, if anyone had any question, Paul, are you sure that these, you know, the people in Jerusalem really agree with you? Uh, here's my reference letter, <laughs> right? If you want, he's got a number at the bottom. You can give him a call and see what he says. But yeah, the people in Jerusalem, they know what I'm talking about and they agree with it. And so they commended him. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They shook his hand, yeah. They said, well done. Go for it. God bless you. You're on the right track. We support you. We approve of what you're doing. Right? That's what this right hand of fellowship. It was a, a covenantal um, uh, sign, agreement. We're on your side. We got your back. We'll stand behind you no matter what comes your way because we agree with what you're saying. So that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised because they just began to realize, you know what? Paul, God seems to be blessing you with the Gentiles. So go. And you know what? God's blessing us with the Jews. So we'll go there. We'll kind of divide up and we'll, we'll attack these two different people, but we're going to give the same gospel. It wasn't that there was one gospel going to the Jews and one gospel going to the Gentiles. It's all one and the same. Jesus plus nothing. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now that's a little bit different than what James' letter said. Right? And, and we'll explain that in a few weeks, why I think that there's a difference between the two. But he said, they only asked us to remember the poor, which is the very thing I was eager to do. And if you read on in Paul's letters, that's what he did, right? He kept sending uh, gifts back to Jerusalem, to the saints in Jerusalem, from churches to churches. Now, why would he do that? Well, think about it. Jerusalem at, was, you know, at one point was the epicenter of Christianity, but it's also the central place of what? Persecution from the, Judea, from the Judaizers in particular, right? Because they were the most threatened by this. So they're doing everything in their power to destroy the church. So when you became saved, there was a huge cost. If you, were, if you became a Christian, I mean, you were ostracized. Meaning people wouldn't you know, sell goods to you, but neither would they buy goods from you. So when you became saved, your business went in the toilet. 
Your livelihood went into the, into the tank. And now there is a threat. You can't even support for your family. You can't, there's no finances for you. That's cost, right? I mean, nowadays you become a Christian, you might get snickered at. Okay, <laughs> big deal. Back then, you became a Christian, you can get fed to the lions. You can lose your business. You can be out on the streets. They were legally allowed to come and steal from you if you're a Christian. Isn't that nice? Right? That was the law of the land. Police officer, he stole from me. Oh, stop that. But he's a Christian. Well, here, let me take that too. <laughs> I mean, that was the idea behind it. So what they were doing is, don't forget the, 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 the poor. These people who really have paid for their faith. And Paul says, oh, I, I understand what they've been through. I want to support them. So all the churches he would go to, he says, will you help out? These people, these people have given a lot. But will you help them out? Much like the Chinese church today, right? The church in China, I mean, that's another persecuted church. Where if you become a Christian, your life is literally on the line. And what do we do here? We can support the churches in China. It's the same idea what Paul says. I was eager to do it, and he did. Multiple, multiple times. Does that make sense? So this, this message here was, was affirmed, was confirmed time and time again. And, and Paul saying, the gospel is the gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing. It was confirmed in the, in the, in the Jerusalem council. It was confirmed by these other apostles. It was revealed to me by Christ. I wasn't taught it. My authority is, is solid. Any questions at this point? I know that's really quick. Yes? Or in general. Exactly. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. So, so the Christians in Jerusalem, mainly Jews, who when they gave, when they became saved, there was great cost. They lost all their livelihood. So Paul would go to the Gentile churches and raise money to send back to the Jerusalem Christians. And that's, that's the poor. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. I know that's really quick. I know that's, that's you know, I'm throwing a lot of verses at you, and we're going back and forth between Acts and, and Galatians. But the reason I want to do that is because the last half of Galatians 2 is powerful. And you know it's coming, amen, right? You know it's there. And I want to spend some time on that. And so I, I appreciate your, your willingness to put up with the, the quick pace that we've, we've taken. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.